Okay, so here we are moving through the life of Joseph. Uh, last scene we had with him, he was serving in Potiphar's house. The Lord had blessed. He got to a place of influence and significance um, in the house of Potiphar. But uh, Mrs. Potiphar has uh, adulterous intentions. He rejects those, and so she frames him and says that he had tried to rape her. And so he ends up in prison. And that's where we pick up the story is he's in prison. And um, so chapters 40 and 41 talk about him being in prison and then how he gets out of prison. Um, the Lord could have used many different paths to bring Joseph to power, to fulfill the dream that he had had many years earlier when he spoke to his brothers and then his mom and dad and said, hey, listen, I had a dream and um, my sheaf was standing in your sheaf of grain, bowed down to mine. And he was rebuked by his dad. He was despised by his brothers for that. And yet this is something that's going to happen. And God could have worked that out many, many different ways. But the, what we're seeing in his life is that it came through the road of suffering. The exaltation that he's going to experience is one that is going to first begin with a humbling in his life. And like it or not, that seems to be the pattern. You can find that throughout Scripture, is that God brings low and then He lifts up. Unless you dislike it too much, remember this, that that is the case even with His Son. Even the Son of God was humbled and brought low, died upon the cross, rejected by His own countrymen, and yet is going to be raised up and exalted. And so, this is the pattern we find in Scripture. And if you find yourself in that place where there seems to be a humbling, there seems to be trials, there seems to be difficulties and afflictions that are happening in your life, okay, that is the pattern we have in Scripture. That is often the way. It's not the only way, but it is the most common pattern we find. And so this is what we're going to see. It's a familiar story and picture of even Jesus, who was rejected by his countrymen and yet provided salvation for them. So may the Lord increase our faith to wait, knowing that ultimately in Christ, all of us will be lifted up. All of us are going to be blessed. So let's follow this story, beginning in verse 1 through 4, where we see that Joseph cares for men from Pharaoh's house. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker... Uh, the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while." So this becomes a key link. These two guys ending up in jail, these officers, are going to become a key link on how the Lord is going to get Joseph out of prison. But there's an interesting statement here that we've seen before, and that in verse 3 it says, So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Verse 4, and the captain of the guard. Who is this captain of the guard? Well, we read about it in chapter 37, verse 36. And in chapter 39, verse 1, and the captain of the guard is who? It's Potiphar. 
Now, it is possible that time could have elapsed and he could have no longer been in that position. But it seems likely, to me at least, that this was probably the same man that was holding that position. That would explain why, upon hearing that a a slave of his had tried to rape his wife, that he did not immediately execute him, because he could have done that. But he didn't do that, and he put him in prison. And not just any prison. He put him in a prison where uh, the officers and those of nobility would have gone. There probably wasn't many prisons in Egypt at this time. And so Potiphar puts him in this place, and you can speculate as to why. Certainly, the Lord was caring for him and watching over Joseph and protecting him. But maybe Mr. Potiphar didn't buy Mrs. Potiphar's story as she completely told it, but because of her being a a woman of influence, he couldn't simply ignore it and so put Joseph in this place. And now here comes these two other officers, uh, the chief butler and the chief baker. And so Joseph, although he's been sold into slavery, has been framed and thrown into prison, he keeps finding himself next to people that are going to be able to have an influence on his life and getting him to a place of significant, um, significance and power. And we can stand back and see. Now, it's interesting. Joseph could have had a super bitter attitude towards Egyptians at this point. You know, you lie. You, you don't believe me when I tell you. You throw me into jail. This is not a good experience. And so now here he is in this place of influence and power, and these two guys are coming in, and, and he was charged by the house, the captain of the guard, Potiphar, take care of these guys. And, and, and he does take care of them, and he, and he serves them, and he attends to their needs. And they, likewise, seemingly treat him pretty well, and they don't abuse him. You know, it's never a good thing for you to treat people bad. Whether there's somebody that you look at and say, look at this you know, um, Hebrew that's a slave in our country in jail taking care of me, and to begin to treat him bad. Because you never know, that guy might just end up being the second most influential and powerful man in the world. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, it wouldn't really have made much difference for the baker, we'll find out. He's not going to be around. But for the butler, it was a good move that he did not treat him poorly. And so we, we, we always should do good. And the Bible says that um, we should do good, especially to those of the household of faith. Whenever you have opportunity, walk in kindness. Walk in goodness. Even if it's those people that mainly you would think, I really don't care for them. I don't care for the Egyptians. Look what they've done to my life. They bought me. They framed me. They've imprisoned me. And yet Joseph does not walk like that. Because you never know what God is doing in and around your life. You know, I mean, first of all, we're light and we are a witness and we want to share the gospel with all people. So doing good is always the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do. There's never a season where it's like, well, I'm not going to be good to these people now. Or I'm not going to be good to that person. No, we always should be walking in kindness and goodness. And Joseph models that, although you would have to agree Humanly, if there is a person that has a right to be bitter, it would have been Joseph. And yet, he takes the charge to care for these men. And he is going to be benefited because of that. Verses 5 through 8 
these two officers, they have dreams. Then the butler and the baker, it sounds like Clue kind of, right? You know, um, The butler and the baker uh, of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them, each man's dream and one night in each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? So you can see the level of care and concern that he's showing to these guys. I mean, they're having a bad day. He doesn't walk out smiling. He's like, oh, what's going on? What's happening? And they said to him, we each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So again, we, we've made mention of this. He's already had dreams, but he feels here quite comfortable in giving the meaning and the interpretation of the dream to these guys. It makes me wonder if the Lord has not already explained to him the meaning of his dreams and what's going to happen. Because he, he, you know, dream, don't know what it means, no problem. And, and that dream that he had was significant because that dream led to him being in Egypt. I guarantee you he hasn't forgotten about this dream. It is ingrained on his mind as he re, you know, replayed the whole scene of family and brothers and what could have I done differently. He would have thought of the dream that he had shared with them and his father. And so does he have the interpretation of the dream? It doesn't say, but boy, he's like, dreams? No problem. I know the guy who interprets them is my God. And so he speaks to them so boldly, so clearly. Well, the butler, we're going to find out, is going to be restored to service. And the baker is going to, guilt will be discovered and is going to be executed. Patience is something that we all need, isn't it? Here he is having these dreams when he is 17 and all this transpired and now he finds himself in this place where he still is not free, still not liberated. He still has not seen the fulfillment of the dream that he had, but God is on the, on the move. And he, again, he is not bitter towards God. He looks to the Lord. He speaks of his God as being able to work and move and, and to speak to him. He, was, he had no problem expecting that as he called upon the name of the Lord that God would say, here are the meanings of their dreams. Here's a prophetic word. And again, as we've talked about through his life, and we'll mention it a few more times, don't allow the affliction and the hardship that you experience in this life to make your heart bitter towards God. Keep it soft towards the Lord. And when you have the question of, yeah, but why? I mean, okay, Troy, that's great. You say, don't get bitter. But do you know what I've gone through? Do you know the experiences that I've had? God could have worked. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. We know this is the case. You've preached that before. Why hasn't he changed my circumstances? I don't know. I have no idea why God has not changed your circumstances. But I do know this, that God loves you and that God is faithful And that God has promised blessing in your life. And that God has also told us that we are his vessels. And that he uses us for his glory and for his honor. And if our humiliation and our affliction gives God the opportunity for his name to be honored and to be glorified. in even the life of one person, 
he's worthy of that place in our life. And we should welcome and, and say, all right, Lord, my life is yours. Do with my life what you will. Do you remember when Peter and John were at the end, were talking to Jesus, and specifically Peter, and the Lord was saying, hey, Peter, when you get older, you're going to die in a way that you don't really care for. They're going to stretch out your arms. They're going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. You know what his only objection was? Was, okay, that's fine, but how's John going to die? <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm going to die, but just please, please, whatever you do, tell me that he's going to die in a worse manner, and then I'll, I will be fine with that, Lord. He doesn't say that, but it's kind of like, that's great, but what about, what about him? What about this guy? Is he going to suffer? Is he going to be afflicted? Because if he's going to be suffering and be afflicted, then I'll accept from your hand. And you know what the Lord says to him? Nanya. It's none of your business. What happens to him? You, what? Follow me. What I do in the life of your fellow companions at the end of the day, other than you praying for them and supporting them, is none of your business what I do with their life. Whether I lift them up or I bring them down. And so we too need to arrive at this place where we are just content with what God wants to do in our life and through our life. And you may have dreams and you may have ambitions and you may have desires and you may say, I don't really have dreams and ambitions. I just don't want to live in continual trials and difficulties. I can understand that. There's not one of us in here who cannot understand that. But if you are in that place, all I can tell you is, I don't know why, but I know who. Very similar words, right? Just one vowel of difference. But there's a world of difference. You may never find out why in this lifetime. It may be in the next lifetime. One guy who never found out why was Job. And in Job 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Do you still have faith in God? I mean, why don't you just like rail against him, and then maybe he'll just take you out, that would be better. What a loving, supporting wife she was, huh? <laughs> but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Look, listen, look at this line. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The answer is we should be willing to accept both from God, the good times and the bad times, because we know who our God is. You can't figure out maybe what's going on in your life and the trials and the hardship and why people have done this and that and why your body's failing like this, and, but you know who is going to redeem you. You know who is preparing a place for you. You know who died on the cross for you. So don't allow your difficulties and trials to turn your faith away from the Lord. Remember, he died for you. Remember, your eternity is set. If you have faith in Christ, remember that he is with you in your difficulties and in your hardships. Let's keep reading verses 9 through 15. He interprets the dreams. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So a butler was a cupbearer. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed 
the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift, your, uh, lift up your head and restore you to the place, your place. And you will remember, uh, excuse me, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. And make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. I don't belong down here. And I also have done nothing here that they should put me in this dungeon. I am an innocent man. Please remember me. So this is a dream of restoration. And um, he tells him what's going to take place. And he says, please remember me. Please remember the things that I've gone through. So verse 16 through 19, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in a dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. And the uppermost baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, mm, not good. This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh lift." Uh, off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So both of them are given that prophetic word and we will read this in just a moment that they come to pass. Do you think it took some courage to give the interpretation to that second person? Yeah, that's not a hard thing to say. I mean, that's not an easy thing. It's a hard thing to say. It's hard to, to imagine looking in somebody's face and saying, yeah, your head's going to be chopped up and you're off and you're going to be eaten by birds. And yet Joseph speaks it because it's the word of the Lord. There's a judgment that is coming to him. And I, I, I have had those moments. I have had those times. I'm sure I'm not alone where the Lord has told you to say something to somebody and you've not wanted to say it because it's a difficult word. It's something that's going to be a great challenge. But we need to be faithful in those moments to say the difficulty. In truth, we speak the truth. In love, we speak the truth. We don't hold back. But you know, unlike Joseph, who has to say, you know, your head's going to be chopped up and the birds are going to eat you and it's not going to work out well. Sorry. No good interpretation for you. We don't have to preach a message like that, do we? We preach the good news. We get to preach. And it sounds like the message to the baker, you are separated from God. There is enmity between you and the Lord. However, the Lord has sent His Son, and He took that punishment in His body upon the cross almost 2,000 years ago. And He rose from the dead. And if you will put your faith and trust in Him and come and embrace Him as your Lord, your sins will be forgiven, and you will have the hope of everlasting life. This is the message that we preach. We preach it. It begins, the good news begins with some bad news, really, doesn't it? You are separated from God. You are lost in your sins. Your sins have separated you from God. And it's that message that so many are unwilling to preach, are unwilling to share. It's like, well, I don't want to say something that's going to upset them. I don't want to communicate something that's going to hurt their feelings, that's going to make them feel bad about the way they're living. Yeah, but if in telling them this, it gives them the opportunity to repent, repent and get their life right with the Lord, to not share them is one of the most unkind things you could ever do. 
If you had the cure to cancer and you had to tell somebody they were going to go through a really terrible therapy program, but it's a 100% cure, but you don't share that, nobody's going to forgive you. Nobody would forgive that. They say, you should have shared. You should have communicated this. And there's a sense, even um, it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual belief, it doesn't matter what kind of country you came from, where there's all the sense of if I have the power to do good and save a person's life, I must communicate that. And to not do that is viewed as a negative thing. Why would you not share that? And your motives would be called into question. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Look at this. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. To you, to me, to us. It has been entrusted to us. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in one sense, all of us have some bad news to bring like Joseph, but we also get to tell them it doesn't have to stay that way. It can change if you will put your faith and trust in the Lord. You know, we can become silent with the gospel because we're afraid that it's going to offend. And yet Jesus has already told us it's going to offend. He's already told us that it would separate families. He's already told us that it would separate countrymen. It already, he's already warned us of the difficulty that would come to us for being the light and being those who would proclaim the truth. And it doesn't always go well. But for those that are being saved, it's the best thing ever. And you're among those that were being saved. Somebody communicated this truth to you. So Joseph has the courage to share the prophetic word. In this case, a prophetic word is only negative. But we get to share that prophetic word of the gospel that calls people to reconciliation. Let's not be afraid to speak the truth in love. Well, what happens? Verses 20 through 23, the dreams are fulfilled as Joseph has prophesied. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker and Joseph had, uh, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Ouch. You can imagine that once Joseph saw the word fulfilled, he thought, surely he's going to tell the Pharaoh of this. And yet he doesn't. He keeps it quiet. He forgets. He doesn't remember to do this. And I'm sure Joseph began to think, when? Is this ever going to happen? And we find out actually in the, the first word of the next chapter that it's going to be two years that it's going to be before this is brought. You know, prison has often been a tactic of the enemy to try and silence the word of the Lord. And 
you know, God has his plan and Satan has his, his plan. He wants to destroy Joseph and destroying jo- Joseph, maybe he will destroy the entire uh, family that has come from Abraham. And if that happens, then there's no salvation for man. You have to see the hand of the enemy working through all of this to try and thwart God's uh, plan through this one family to bring the Messiah that would be the Savior of the world. And down through the ages, he has continued that process of throwing those that would dare to speak the word of the Lord in truth into prison. Micaiah was imprisoned by King Jehoshaphat when he prophesied of the defeat of the army of Israel. He didn't like that negative word. Hanani was imprisoned by a good king, Asa, not so good at this moment, for rebuking him when he failed to call upon the Lord for help and put his trust rather in Syria. Jeremiah was in prison for his faithful declaration of the word of God. Peter was put in prison for the preaching of the gospel. John was exiled to the island of Patmos because he wouldn't stop being a witness and stop preaching. Paul, I mean, his punch card into jail was full. I mean, he was always going into jail time after time until eventually he was beheaded and put to death. And even our Savior himself was taken captive and was put into prison. The point is simply this, Satan uses persecution and imprisonment to try and stop the, uh, the spread of the gospel. Now, we are told in Hebrews that we should pray for those that are in prison as though we were in prison and we are in chains with them ourselves. That's one of the things we got to do in the previous week, in the, the, the week of prayer. But remember to pray for those that suffer. Remember to pray for those that are in prison as if... You were in prison with them. In other words, pray the way you'd want to be prayed for if you were in jail for your faith. What does that look like? I'm sure the Lord will lead you and guide you, but this should be a more regular part of both our corporate prayer, but also our private prayers of praying for those that are imprisoned, that they are in jail, they're abused because of their faith. And no doubt, this is why Joseph is there. Not because he's been preaching the gospel. The gospel's not given yet. But because he is the one through whom the, the preservation of the gospel is going to come. He is preserved, therefore he preserves the family. Therefore Judah can have um, his children and eventually the Messiah will come. So he is in that place. We should never be fearful when the world comes against the church. We shouldn't be afraid. The Lord has told us that this is going to happen. We should, we should look and say, yes, this is exactly what he said would take place, is that the world would not like us and that he would come against the church. I am not hoping for any kind of persecution myself personally. Maybe you are. I don't know. I'm not. I'm hoping that we continue to walk in the freedom we've enjoyed in this country to be able to preach the gospel and send missionaries around the world to gather like this without any fear of reprisal. But what would you do, what would Troy do, if it isn't like that? What is going to be our response? Are we going to compromise? Are we going to cower? I hope that there's a resolve in all of our hearts and the grace of God will abound and flow in that very moment that we would need it most. But let there be a resolve that says we are not going to worship according to the dictates 
of our country or our friends or our family. We're going to worship because the Lord has called us to, and He is able to deliver. And sometimes that deliverance happens through the death of His saints, martyrdom. That is part of what has happened down through the years as well. Now, that's not going to be the case for Joseph, but I just seeing him in prison think we should be aware that this is something that has happened from the earliest of days down to this very hour, this very minute, there are those in jail because of their faith. Let's keep on moving through chapter 41, and I'm not going to read um, all of this chapter, um, so you're going to have to kind of go back and be doing some summarizing here. But verse 1, it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. So he's been faithful. He's been waiting um, for many years, actually, for this moment to come. And finally, it has arrived. Hebrews 6, 11, and 12 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through what? Faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and pay. Have faith in the Lord, but also be patient. And you will reap. You will receive what the Lord has planned. So there's these two years of silence, and he has faithfully waited. He is, again, still waiting for the Lord to come through. Verses 2 through 8. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river. And the ugly and the gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on a stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told his, them his dreams, but there was none of them who could interpret this dream. So now we, we are, again, we're seeing this. Now dreams are taking on a really significant place in this story. It begins with Joseph having his dreams, then the butler and the baker, and now Pharaoh himself. And it doesn't say it where we've read yet, but we know where it's going. It's like, oh, now Joseph is going to get the chance to actually speak. And so verses 9 through 13, Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream, now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So there's a perfect timing in delay, isn't there? We look at things and we see two years like, God has forgotten me. Lord's like, I have not forgotten you. There's a perfect timing. And the perfect timing was to wait till that moment when Pharaoh, 
had a dream that he could not understand. And he would be most interested in somebody that could interpret it. And so it's almost as if the Lord allowed the butler to forget. So that at just the right moment, he could say, well, I know the solution to your problem. And he's in your jail. And this is what he has done before. Let's go and get him and let's see what he can do. And so understand that in delay, God is not absent. That he's, he's working something out. If you have faith and patience, you will see it worked out in this perfect timing. And to God's glory. Now, will you see it in this lifetime? You may see it. But we all will be able to look back in heaven, in our lives, and see those interesting twists and turns and dips in our our time of travel through the dark paths where we don't see exactly what's going on, we will be able to see so clearly what God was doing in our life and how He was bringing glory to His name and how He is ministering to people. You may not see it now, but don't worry, God is working. Don't we sing a song that kind of sounds something like that, Waymaker? Even when I don't see it, He's working. Yeah, that, 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 that's Joseph's song, isn't it? It's like, yeah, amen to that. There were times where I didn't see what God was doing, but I knew he was working. And I wasn't going to become bitter. I was going to stand fast. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For you are faithful, love. O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. I pray that that would bring comfort to each of you today to know that God is working out His plans for your life. Now, if we stop following the Lord and we lose patience and we lose faith, man, we can make that journey so much longer and so much more complicated than it needs to be. That doesn't mean God is not willing to receive you back today and resume that plan for your life, but we take some unnecessary delays and unnecessary you know, detours, stay faithful and watch God's perfect timing come. I mean, God has a perfect timing for all kinds of things. It was a good thing that the Red Sea did not part two weeks before the Israelites got there. You know what I mean? Oh, if you would have been here two weeks ago, it would have been perfect. Because like, people were walking across this thing and Some people got caught. I mean, it would have been, I could just imagine, that would have worked out great for you guys if you could have crossed. And then when they came, it would have closed up. But oh well, you're too late. God has a perfect timing. The Red Sea parted at the right time. And so it will for you. Faith and patience. Well, verse 14 through 16, Joseph says, Not me, but God. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can interpret a dream. Uh, You can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh and saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, Pharaoh kind of thought he was God. And so he's saying, listen, no, 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 it's not in me. It's in God. My God will tell you. I mean, you've got to love his confidence and his faith in this moment. And say, no, it's not me, Pharaoh. You you got a bad report. It's my God. 
And he will tell you exactly what's going on. And the Lord loves to work and move through the lives of men and women where he can get the glory. Why did he choose to work through Gideon? Because nobody would have believed that Gideon could defeat an army on his own because he was one of the scaredest men in Israel. More frightened than anybody else is the way he claimed it. And so the Lord chose that man to be the man to defeat the Midianites. And this is what we read throughout the scriptures that we are chosen because he wants to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So we submit ourselves to him. This is why John the Baptist was chosen and was called the greatest man who ever lived. Because he's the one that said, I must decrease, and what does it say? And he what? Must increase. When we understand that my name and my position and my glory needs to be on going down and let the name of the Lord grow in fame, that's the man and that's the woman the Lord can use. Because in Isaiah, both uh, in 42.8 and 48.11, the Lord says he will not give his glory to another. The Lord is very jealous over his glory. And when people begin to take the praise and the honor that is due his name, you can know it's not long before they're going to be humbled. Because they're touching that which is the Lord's. So don't take praise. Don't take that to yourself. But give the glory to the Lord. And Joseph is such a great example. Not me, but God. Not me, but God. In verses 17 through 36, Joseph prophesies. He interprets the dream. And he gives wisdom. So he hears the whole dream. And he basically what he says to him, he goes, okay, this is it. Verse 28. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store, it up, uh, store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep, it, keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt." And we're going to make it. We're not going to perish during this famine. So this is the interpretation, and this is the wisdom. You begin to get a little insight here as to why Jacob had Joseph going out and observing what everybody was doing. He's just, he's got it. He has a gift of wisdom and administration upon him. He can look at a situation and he can figure it out. That was the case with his dad's house. That was the case in Potiphar's house. That was the case in the prison. And now it's going to be the case for the entire world. God gives him that wisdom to know how things ought to be. And so, um, verses 37 through 49, Joseph is exalted. Um, He said, basically, you need to find somebody who can do this. And Pharaoh said, I think we found our man. You're the guy. You're going to be the one. 
And nobody will have more power um, than you. Verse 40, you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off, put it on his off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen. Here's that garment coming into the, the, the this life of Joseph again. And put a gold chain around his neck and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him as a wife Azenith, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from his, the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And he does exactly what he said. So he gives him this name, zaphnath paneah which means God has spoken and he shall live. God has spoken and he shall live. The question is, who's the he? Many believe it's either a reference to uh, uh, Pharaoh himself or just the people. But this is what God is doing. His God did speak and now people will live because of his wisdom. And the Lord has spoken. Jesus has told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And because of that, we live when we follow him and we obey him and walk in his ways. We, we close there in verses 50 through 57. And Joseph begins his family. He's got, he has a, this wife and he has two sons that are born. There in verse 51, Manasseh, for God has made me forget my toil and all my father's house. And the second he called Ephraim. For God caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me forget my toil. God has caused me to be fruitful in affliction. And you know, the Lord will do that for all of us. If you will keep your eyes set upon the Lord, you will forget, the blessing of salvation will be greater than the trouble of your trial. But you gotta, you got to stand up and praise. you got to lift up your voice. And the Lord will cause you to be fruitful even when there is affliction. Believe it. Trust it. The Lord has said so. The last thing I want to just look at is, and just to, by, in closing comment, Joseph's marriage to a Gentile bride is much like Christ's marriage to the church during this age, where the church is predominantly, not solely, but predominantly made up of Gentiles. And his own countrymen, Israel, according to the flesh, have rejected him. And that's exactly what's happening to Joseph. That's exactly what is happening with um, the Lord to this day. But just as there will be a reconciliation with Joseph and his brothers, there is a coming reconciliation between Jesus and his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us or forsake us. You walk with us through the difficulties. You walk through the trials, the disappointments, the bad reports. And Lord, you are faithful and you are sovereign. And I know for some of us, we can't see what you're doing right now. It just looks dark. 
But I pray that you would increase our faith to believe and trust in what your word has said. That you will make a way. That you'll never leave us nor forsake us. May we understand you are a sovereign God who has the power to work all things together for good. Especially to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. 